Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Previously on Mentally Yours. I decided after a little bit to speak publicly about what I'd gone through. Um, probably the main reason to do that wasn't to help people or wasn't to spread awareness or nothing like that. It was purely because I felt like if I was going to move on in my life and, and move on from that kind of incident, I had to kind of be honest with myself. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Uh, focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone, and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. Check out our other fantastic podcast, Good Sex, Bad Sex, which is all about stuff in the bedroom. My name's Yvette, and I'm on my own today. Ellen's off. She's a star, and she deserves a week off. So this week's guest is Dr. Rada. You probably know her already from BBC Radio 1's Sunday Surgery. She's also got this new podcast called Life Hacks, and she's got a huge amount of experience both in medicine and in broadcasting. Well, I've definitely noticed that people are a lot more comfortable with talking about it, a lot more comfortable about expressing perhaps the difficulties that they're having or the challenges that they're having. Um, so I've noticed that people are, especially younger people actually, a lot better at actually saying, you know, they may have an issue or there might be something that they're not really coping with. Um, having said that, I still think there's a massive way to go. Um, and I think that actually um, we're kind of scratching the surface of talking about mental health and getting into the day-to-day conversation Mm -hmm. but I still think there's a lot of obstacles and a lot of resistance in some areas and with certain groups for example where we're not really making much headway. What are some basic things that you think we should be doing as a society to improve? I think I mean these can sound really basic but I have to say like often I find the basic things are actually the the things which hold the most truth so um, I think actually being more real being more um 
easy with saying that we you know we're all human beings we all have similar feelings and we can all connect through that and I think part of the difficulty now perhaps is that with a lot of social media a lot of pressure a lot of other things in people's lives we're tending to be so kind of busy and caught up with all of that we're not really connecting with other people properly and one of the ways to connect with other people is to share feelings and actually know that other people are feeling the same kind of way. So really basic stuff like just having time to go for a walk with your friend and actually have time to talk rather than meeting in a in a bar or a restaurant where it's very busy and very noisy. Just spending real quality time with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and often, I mean, I'm sure everyone's experienced this, when you're feeling a certain way and you go and have a chat with a friend, a really good friend... And they tell you about time and they felt the same way or a difficulty that they've got. You, f- you feel better. You feel more connected. And yeah, so really to recognise our humanity, which sounds a very grand thing, but it's not. It's very basic. We all are, you know, susceptible every day, every moment, of every day to different feelings and different challenges in life. So it's really about being honest. You also mentioned certain communities that you feel sort of need more support, perhaps when it comes to mental health issues. Which ones are those? Um, I think classically kind of older generations find it more difficult to talk about their feelings, emotions. And that's not surprising. That's not anything you know they should be blamed for. It's very much we are a product of where we grow up, who's around us, what the culture is at the time in terms of what's acceptable. Mm. And so I think, you know, older generations are getting that message and are, you know, kind of hearing it. But I think it's difficult to change, you know, sometimes habits when you've when you've grown up with them. Um, and also I think, you know, certain cultures as well, historically it's been very difficult for people in those cultures or communities to be honest and talk about mental health um, because it's sometimes seen as a, a shameful thing or something that is not ever supposed to be spoken about. And so obviously we know that when you hide your feelings or you hide difficulties that you're having from people who are around you who are your family and who love you and care for you it's almost like you're having to not show a part of you and that gives us the internal message that we should be ashamed of ourselves which causes more and more difficulties with mental health you know as if we, it wasn't bad enough experiencing some initially that kind of lack of connection and lack of expression actually makes it a lot harder We've also had changes to the law as well, which I think is worth saying. When you, you talked about sort of older people and their opinions, on the podcast we talked to Rethink and um, the lady was mm. talking about how, you know, it's not actually that long ago when if you'd been sectioned, you weren't actually allowed to vote or if you were in a mental health unit, you couldn't vote, mm. um, you didn't have certain rights. There's sort of massive changes going on in terms of the Mental Health Act at the moment and the way that we might change that now. Mm. Do you have any opinions yourself on how it should change? That's quite a difficult question. It's quite a big question. It's quite a big question. I mean, I, I think all I can say is the way that mental health is approached um, within the NHS, within medicine as a whole, is changing. And I think obviously that's a great thing because as we know, until very recently, it was... It was hidden away. It was, you know, in very austere buildings um, that people didn't see, they didn't know about. Um, Often the terms used to describe those places or buildings were very offensive, very isolating. So I think actually we have come a long way in terms of 
the medical profession and mental health specialists and general society actually bringing that more to the forefront and saying, well, you know, it's just like any other part of a hospital you might visit. It's, you know, that's for your kidneys, that's for your lungs, this is for your brain. Um, so I think that's that's got much better. I think the facilities being you know friendlier and um, less formal has got a lot better. But I'm sure there are lots of things that obviously still need to be done. Um, access, waiting times, all those things which are so important. In terms of your show, um, are there any particular um, issues or conditions that are coming up more than others at the moment? I'd say probably um, anxiety is a massive one. And whenever we do anything about anxiety, uh, panic attacks, we always get a flood of calls, a flood of messages. Mm. So anxiety seems to be a very an area where lots of people are experiencing symptoms um, and also self-harm as well. Self-harm, again, um, gets quite a big response when we cover it on the show. Why do you think that is? I mean, some people sort of say, well, celebrities like Zoella has, have talked about anxiety, so more people with anxiety might be more open to talking about it. Do you think that's the case or do you think it's the case that we actually have a society at the moment that is more anxiety inducing? I think it's probably a bit of both, but I'd probably err more on the side that actually I think we have a society which is a bit more anxiety um, producing, really. Mm. I think, um, you know, to me, um, obviously, there are lots of different causes for anxiety, but a major cause, I think, is um, issues with self-esteem and perhaps not really knowing yourself, not really having confidence in yourself and confidence in your ability to cope with life and all the things that life can throw at us. Mm. And I think, um, again, that might be because the world is going at a faster pace. There's more competition for things. Um, people are, there seems to be, you have to get more and more specialists in every single area of work to get, you know, to, to get the job that perhaps uh, you know, many years ago you'd have got quite easily. Um, people are being more pressured in terms of, you know, boundaries between home and, and work and what's your social time and what's your work time. And so I think there's a, there's a general sort of sense of there being so much pressure on all of these external outcomes, if you like, like work, like relationships, like ticking all the boxes that we're all supposed to tick, that actually perhaps we're not really spending enough time on actually developing our self-esteem, our confidence in who we are and valuing who we are as a person, not just what we're achieving and not just what we're told we should be achieving in the world. So to me, I think... Uh, more kind of work and attention on self-esteem um, and the individual person is, is maybe the answer. What can we do about that? That's a really good question. <laughs> Again, it's quite a big question, I suppose. It is a big question. Do you think workshops might help in terms of helping young people develop their self-esteem and confidence? Or do you think mm. this is something that should be applied to all ages? Or? I think it should be applied to all ages. I think sometimes... Um, with mental health, we can sometimes concentrate only on children and teenagers. Of course, we need to, but there's a whole other side of the population who we shouldn't forget about. And actually, sometimes um, I get a little bit despondent because sometimes people tend to sort of talk about people being set in their ways and actually not what's the point in actually putting time and money into those age groups but you know the fact that people are now that's the way they are and that's how they're going to stay and I firmly believe that change is absolutely possible for everybody mm. and um, so we can help everybody with it so I think um, that applies to all age groups I think with children and teenagers I think definitely more stuff in schools um, definitely more stuff out there in community groups like the scouts the guides I know they're already doing some great stuff but more of that um, as part of it um so I think actually in a way it's easier for us to see 
the, the way we would actually get to children and teenagers because we've got those places that they go to. It's harder, isn't it, when you think about adults <laughs> mm. and, and older people. But I think actually maybe one of the ways to do that is through community events. And, and although we talk about self-esteem in a very labelled way, you know, there are subtler ways of actually introducing self-esteem in a community so volunteering getting you know getting involved in what's going on in your area making connections with neighbors you know getting involved in hobbies that improve your self-esteem so it doesn't necessarily need to be labeled as a self-esteem workshop if you like but activities which actually bring ourselves back to who we are Mm. and and help us connect with other people who can then reinforce and and help us see our own value Mm. That's such an important point. It's really interesting to me, actually. I mean, what you were sort of saying earlier as well about sort of people and sort of the hours that they work and just generally sort of the stress that people are under, you can see how maybe that might then reduce the time they have for these important um, moments when they might be able to, you know, go to a community event or volunteer or, you know, just join a choir or something. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's that thing about... um going back to basics <laughs> as we get older we life appears to become so complicated but actually when you and I know it's it's an old kind of adage but when you really look at what makes you happy and you go back to basics like for example I mean I went with a friend a few weeks ago when it was bank holiday and we uh and we just met up went for a walk went down to the local shop and bought an ice cream mm-hmm. and it was the loveliest thing <laughs> I'd done for a long time so and had a really good talk so you know that, that it's the really simple basic things like connection to ourselves and connection to other people and in order to do that we do need to create space and I think it's very difficult when life is so busy, but I think we have to, you know, myself included, have to make it a priority in order to keep ourselves healthy, really. So I think as a society, we have a kind of tendency to make childhood seem like this beautiful, wonderful time where everyone's having a fantastic time. It's all perfect. Um, Obviously, we know that's not the case. Some children from quite a young age have mental health issues. How do we go go about dealing with that? So, for example... If you had a parent of a seven-year-old um, who had mental health issues sort of come to you and say, look, they have, I think they have depression or I think they have anxiety, how do you deal with that as a parent? Um, I think it's a good question. I think there is still a lot of stigma and perhaps um, a bit of denial perhaps from, from adults when you mention mental health um, problem or issue in the same sentence as child or children or teenagers because I think we we don't I don't think any of us want to sort of face up to the fact that actually it can happen and it can happen at any age um and I think you're right we you know as as a parent or anyone who cares about a young child you you don't want that person to be suffering or to to think that that person is you know in difficulty with their mental health but it's a fact and so I think one of the main reasons that perhaps people are in denial is because then they have to, if that's the case, they then have to perhaps look at, you know, why that's happened. And um, although it's not always the case at all, you know, people end up blaming themselves or they think, well, could I have done something differently? Um, we know that, you know, in any family member, whatever age they are, if someone has depression or anxiety, probably all of us would think, oh, gosh, could I have done something differently to help that person? Um, c- could I have noticed at an earlier stage? You know, we all feel like that because we're human beings. So um, but what I would say is, you know, that's that's not the that's not the kind of approach that is necessary. It's not a helpful approach. It's actually about saying, well, this has happened for whatever reason. 
And sometimes that we can't find a reason. You know, sometimes we can't say, well, this thing happened and therefore this person or this child has depression or anxiety. So, it, you know, it's, it's no one's fault. And I think perhaps, you know, getting that message out there is it may help with that kind of stigma and addressing it. Um, but it's about actually saying, well, this is now this is now where we are. What can we all do to actually try and help that child um, progress and, and, you know, feel better? And if you were in that sort of situation, how could you then engage with the child? Because obviously services for children are very different to teenagers and they're very different to adults. Um, I mean, it's difficult for me as a GP to answer that because if that was the case, obviously I'd be I'd be referring to, to CAMS, for example, because mm. they also need specialist input. But again, it's, it's about, I mean, different, obviously at different stages of development, you know, children, teenagers are going to respond differently to different things. So there are different methods, you know, for example, play therapy, art therapy, music therapy, to, using stories, for example, um, to help young children actually express what's happened to them. So there are lots of different ways that specialists do that. Do you mind me asking a bit about you personally? Why did you want to get into medicine and sort of this field? So um, I always liked understanding how things work. <laughs> so for me, um, I really liked biology at school. I really loved understanding how the body worked. And the more you learn about it, the more fascinating it becomes, really. And then I sort of thought to myself, well, I like science, um, but I also like people. I also like uh, working in teams. I'm quite um, I'm a person who loves kind of working in big groups. So I thought, well, actually, those two things kind of combine quite well with medicine, uh, so that was why I, I went into medicine. Um, and then very much by chance, it was my, my sister's fault, I blame her. <laughs> An advert for a BBC3 programme um, uh, quite a few years ago now and, and actually brought that back for me and said, why don't you have a go at this? And I was being a bit of a grumpy little sister. I went, oh, I won't get this. What's this? You know, I wasn't, I was never in a school play. I was a tree in a school play <laughs> and a statue. Um, so I never kind of did anything particularly um, uh, in terms of drama or, so I I kind of didn't really think anything of it, but she she made me apply and I got that. And, um, and I really enjoyed it. And I think, I surprised myself actually by enjoying it because I re I didn't necessarily wouldn't have put myself in in that area but I think I enjoyed it because I like teaching and I like explaining um and I like sharing things and sharing I suppose knowledge and media does that in a very creative way so I think for me it's probably the sort of teaching and sharing aspect that I enjoy the most. Have you ever personally found it quite stressful in terms of the responsibility that that's then placed on you because you've obviously had young people sharing very difficult things with you um, or people of all ages and I imagine sort of in this sort of world where people could kind of you know just tweet people or just kind of get in touch however that could be quite a stressful sort of situation to be in have you ever had any sort of experiences like that? It definitely is a responsibility <laughs> um, and every time I do something I'm very aware of that responsibility um not only in terms of getting my facts right and being factually correct but also doing it in the right tone so you know for, for the audience that's listening um so not just tone of voice but also trying to be someone who is there to give facts and information but also someone who is hopefully showing their human side and also is is someone that people can relate to because i think unless you're like that people you know they can't relate they can't connect and so whatever you're saying um however powerful it is is not really going to get across um so I'm very much I always have that very much in the back of my mind whenever I'm doing anything and I kind of made a promise to myself that I would do kind of 
what I term valuable things in the media. So things that actually hopefully would have a positive impact on people. Mm. Um, in terms of in terms of uh, situations where people have contacted me, for example, um, I think being a doctor, you, you're already trained to be very cautious about boundaries and um, all those kind of things that as a doctor you would do naturally. So I've never found myself in a difficulty with that. And I think also I've chosen the platforms where I work quite carefully. So for example, the ABBC Radio 1 have got a fantastic uh, safety netting procedure and protocol behind the show that we do. And so they've got extremely good ways for people to get people help if they need it. Mm. So that for me is is a sort of a priority whenever I do anything. To completely change the subject. Mm. So as a doctor... You have quite a unique insight, don't you, into the medical profession, sort of GPs and obviously sort of being a broadcaster. But sort of in terms of the the medical side of things, what do you think the NHS should be doing to improve at the moment? Because we sort of talk about mental health sort of services being in crisis, the NHS mm. being in crisis, being underfunded. And, you know, it's all very well for me to sort of go on, on about that and be frustrated. Mm-hmm. But um, what do you sort of professionally feel that should be done? So I think um, early access, um, early access to psychological therapies is absolutely fundamental. Um, and I think, you know, with uh, like the same with a physical problem, you you should not be waiting. Um, you know, if even some might argue even more with a mental health um, issue that if you, you know, you by the time you get to that point, unfortunately, a lot of people are already in, in quite a bad state. So, you know, the fact that they're actually going to their doctor and asking or telling someone they need help, that is a critical moment where, you know, we need to step in and say, yes, you can have help. And here it is. And here it is quickly. Mm. Um because hearing hearing about waiting lists when you're at that point, when you've literally dragged yourself to get to the doctor or you've reached that point where you need to ask and then to be told there's a long wait for it, it shouldn't be happening. It's mm. um so so that to me I think is really important. Early access to psychological therapies and early access to mental health specialists as well, consultants as well. Um, because I think in in my experience, as soon as someone sees a mental health specialist or a psychologist and they can be assessed and they can be told, OK, well, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I've listened to what you're saying. And I think, that you know, this may be what you, what you have or what you might be suffering with. As soon as people hear that, I think they, they get an instant sense of relief because they can put a name to it. They can say, OK, well, I know the reason I've been feeling all these things is because I might have this. And then they can then see a treatment plan and a management plan. And so it gives them automatically again then hope that they will get better so I think that initial appointment is just so important um for people so that for me would be the most important thing mm. to concentrate on what about support for doctors and people in the NHS at the moment because obviously they're quite stretched is that an issue that you know of at the moment I think with any yeah any profession where you you know you're it's it's a busy job you're dealing with other people's stresses you're multitasking you're under pressure yourself I mean absolutely it's you know doctors um you know there's been a big uh push by the Royal College of GPs for example to address you know burnout and mental resilience for GPs because you know if we're if we're not looking after ourselves, how can we look after other people who are coming to see us? Um, so I think there is a lot, there is, I think that's now starting and that's gain, gaining a bit of momentum. 
but definitely you know when I talk to other doctors of course there are they are stressed you know they are um sometimes you know complaining of burnout symptoms or not quite sure what to do when they're feeling you know stressed at work or so absolutely it's an issue I think you know there are there are places to go practitioner helplines for example um that doctors can go to but I think you know the more the more the better um because you you need to look after yourself just like we all do um but if you're in a a job which is challenging and difficult you know just like firefighters paramedics nurses police all of these um areas where actually you're coming across very difficult things and you you have emotions because you're a human being and so we need to support people to process those in a healthy way thanks so much to our guest dr rada so this is the bit of the show where normally ellen and i would have good old jim mike about what we thought about the show and what the guest says. So the thing that really stood out for me with my chat to Dr. Rada was what she said about children and young people in general, um, the way that we should be talking about mental health um, with them from an early age, how important that is, the importance of sort of talking about their feelings from an early age, um, emotional intelligence. I think that's really crucial. Um, And this idea that everybody has mental health you know, from and all ages as well, and the, the different ways that we can be sort of addressing that. Another thing that really stood out for me was when she was talking about how we should talk to children about mental health and also how parents should be thinking about children and their mental health. Because I'm sure there's quite a lot of people listening who have children who've experienced mental health issues. Or maybe, you know, you have mental health issues now and you remember having mental health issues when you were a child and that sort of difficult time of navigating the things that you were feeling and trying to communicate them with your parents or your peers. So I think that's something that we we definitely need to talk about more generally as a society. I think generally we need to not sort of think, well, childhood is this perfect golden time and then all oh no teenage years come in and everything sort of gets confusing and then you're an adult. I think we really need to think about everybody's journey, their health from, you know, when they're born right through to old age um, and include mental health in that and think about how we can support all ages and their mental health. So this is goodbye from mentally If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123. Thanks very much to our guest, the lovely Dr. Rada. And thank you to our producer, Sam Bonham. You can join us online for a chat. We have a Facebook group, which is called Mentally Yours. And you can also keep up to date with us on Twitter. The handle is at Mentally Yours with the YRS at the end. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 